Maybe. Maybe I should cut that. That was pretty bad. How about this one for the opening scene? Uh, the opening uh, music. That's pretty bad, too. <laughs> Some of the uh, John Barry score in Thunderball. This is my Thunderball review. Yeah, I, I, I've, I did find some sheet music uh, to play on the ukulele, but it's a little bit more, it's a little, little too complex for, for me because it uses a G sharp and a C, C sharp, which I could do the, the G sharp. This is a regular G. I would just be going back and forth in G to C. Um, yeah, Thunderball, it has the opening song, uh, by Tom Jones, whom I'm a fan of, and it, uh, it's a good, it's a good opener, it's a good song, it's not my favorite of the Bond songs, but it's, it, it holds its own, and... The opening uh, montage has like a swimming, a lot of swimming women in it, and uh, it's it's fine. It's it's a fine opening opener. It's it's the Bond series is really starting to come into its own as far as the opening, uh, opening uh, artistic uh, titles, title uh, uh, montages. At this point, at the beginning of this movie, we have. Bond fighting with a a lady in drag. Well, actually, uh, uh, this is totally. It's not a. It's not a woman. It's a man, baby. It's it's totally Austin Powers. It's it's totally where Mike Myers got the idea of uh, Austin Powers uh, fighting somebody that looks like a woman, and. And here it is, and in, in the one of the in the opening scene of Thunderball. So, I I enjoyed that. Um, uh, Bond almost chokes uh, chokes a woman to death, or chokes a man to death, uh, at, at by the fireplace there, and yeah, I I, I enjoyed that. And there's a jetpack. This is the one with the jetpack. So whenever you think Thunderball, you think of uh, jetpack scenes, and by by golly, it's a very memorable one. He puts his helmet on and he he runs out on the balcony, and it just happens to be there. Maybe he it was he put it there, or uh, one of the uh, Bond girls put it there for him to use to to get the heck out of there. But it's it's brief. I kind of wish he used the jetpack more in the movie um, later on in the film or for a longer jetpack sequence. Um, the projection screen behind him, though, it, that I don't think that's aged that well. But when he's actually using it and coming down back onto the ground, when he's going up, it's when they go in for the medium shots or the medium close-ups. It looks, you know, it looks fake, but... Um, yeah, so that this is the one. Uh, this is the Bond with uh, 
the underwater, the super long underwater scenes, which start to become a staple in Bond movies, uh, underwater scenes that, that go on. And although, even though it does go on a bit long, I, you know, it keeps you watching. Uh, I can't imagine what a nightmare it was to direct, uh, to direct those scenes, really. Um, that had to be a, a nuisance. But I respect the heck out of it. I guess the director, um, from the previous Bond was too worn out from Goldfinger. And I, I get it because this movie, making movies is, is tough. Even when you have a good amount of money behind you, it takes a lot out of you. Long hours and a lot of, a lot going on. And, uh, even though it's fun, it is it's still exhausting. And yeah, I, I can't imagine what it was like to shoot these scenes underwater. I mean, long fight scenes and, and what they used to, you know, encase the the cameras and, and everything. It, it, that's pretty amazing. It's definitely a feat. And uh, it kind of reminds me of like the... 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, where there's a significant amount of underwater scenes. And, uh, yeah, a lot of harpoonage in this. Um, there's a pretty cool panoramic harpoon killing scene where Connery just uh, shoots somebody behind him and quips. Uh, trying to think of what he quips. He says uh, he gets to point or something, something along those lines. Um and he's donning a pink shirt in this, which I noted, and uh, which kind of goes in and out of style depending on what uh, <laughs> what what decade uh, you're in. But you know, Connery pulls it off. But it, you know, it's just one of those things. I think in the '60s, you know, you can get away with that a little bit more. You can get away with it now, but uh, sometimes you just can't get away with that pink shirt. But anyway. The Austin Martin, the Austin Martin makes a, another appearance, second appearance, which is great. Always awesome when he uses that car, and it's got the, uh, it's got like a hydro jet uh, gun on the back of it that he uses to shoot uh, some oncoming opponents. I think that's after the jet, jet the jetpack scene. Uh, I'm trying to think what else here we got. We have there's a scene where Bond is in a pool, and the pool kind of covers, gets covered, and and the villain, which uh, guy, uh, I believe his name is Largo in this. He has an eye patch. He's uh, like a number one of, uh, or no, number two, number two of uh, uh, of Spectre, and. Well, I'll get to that, but the pool scene, this is pretty neat. Uh, Bond gets a rebreather uh, gadget from Q, and it allows him to, you know, just use that little rebreather for last for four minutes instead of a tank. And he's using it in that pool, and Largo lets out his killer freaking sharks, and they enter the pool. Uh, Bond 
ends up killing one of the henchmen that he's fighting uh, underwater with, I think with a knife or something like that. And of course, blood spills out and the sharks go go towards him and he's able to get out of the way. But this is fascinating. They used real sharks without letting Connery know. Now talk about things that could go wrong on a movie set. How about having your lead actor, Sean Connery, get eaten to death by sharks? <laughs> Which could have been a possibility. And he was not acting in the scene where the sharks come through the secret uh, tunnel in the pool. Uh, I think there might have been a... Um, like a thin glass that you can kind of tell in the shot, but protecting him a little bit, but still, it's pretty wild that he didn't know. Um, that's a hell of a risk to take. Uh, so that's a memorable scene. The sharks in this, and, and another Austin Powers staple is freaking sharks. And uh, the scene where number two is introduced, or the I don't know if he's introduced in this, but he's in the in the big boardroom, and where everyone's sitting down. One of the uh, number three or number four gets uh, killed in his seat. He falls into a pit after uh, uh, the uh, uh, what's his name for inspector, the lead guy inspector. Uh, Oh, I can't think of it right now. I should I should know this, but you know, the bald lead guy and the Dr. Evil like guy. Um uh, Blofeld. There we go, Blofeld. He pushes the button and the guy goes down and uh it's it's a lot of fun. It's you know, you constantly see staples of what uh Mike Myers used for, for the Austin Power movies. It's just scattered all throughout the Connery run. And and the Roger Moore run, for that matter. So now I'm going to look through the IMDb trivia just to kind of go over this with you. If you haven't checked it out by now, I know I left a link for uh, the Hollywood Saloon. Um, now the Podbean pod, podcast version, you have to listen to it on the website of Podbean. But I think if you went to iTunes, you can go to the Bond episodes. There, there's some of the earlier episodes in there. And their fantastic little uh, podcast run. So let me go to the trivia. Um, no, I don't want the app. So stop throwing it, throwing it in my face. Let's see here. <laughs> um, this was the most expensive movie to make. I think it was more expensive than the last few Bonds, according to this. Uh, it won one Oscar. Um, five nominations total. Let's see here. Best effects, best visual effects. You better believe it. They put a lot of effort into that. Under the un underwater stuff. Won a BAFTA award. Uh, best British art direction in color. Uh... Hey, Saturn Award. Saturn Award. Best DVD collection. <laughs> but uh, Golden Screen Germany. Golden Screen, Golden Screen winner. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe Awards, which I never knew existed. Uh, best foreign film. 
Okay. <laughs> so let's get to those are some of the awards, but best visual effects. Uh, da, 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 da. Um, I like the Bond girls in it. The girl that plays Bomb Domino's good. Yeah, but there's a, the the redhead in it. She's a, she's a good villain, Bond villain. Uh, I'm looking at Luciana Paluzzi. Plays Fiona in it. And uh, once again, Felix gets the actor for Felix gets replaced by Rick Van Nutter. How about that for a name, Rick Van Nutter? Felix uh, Leiter. And uh, let's see, the, the director is Terrence Young. The writers are oh, it's quite a few: Richard May Maybaum, John Hopkins, Jack Whittingham. Let's see here. Taglines. Trivia. Here we go. Bond's jetpack was actually flown by engineer Bill Suter. He was one of only two people in the world to qualify to fly it. Wow. Here it is. I was talking about this earlier. In the, in the underwater scenes where Bond encounters sharks, Sir Sean Connery was supposed to be protected by clear plastic panels, shielding him from sharks and close-ups. However, the panels only extended out about three feet in height. Sharks could swim over them. <laughs> wow. As a result, in some scenes, notably during the pool fight at Largo's mansion, Connery got much closer to the real sharks than he wanted. Uh, director Terrence Young said in an interview that scenes used in this movie where Bond reacts in fright at the approach of the shark were miscues in which Connery was reacting with genuine horror or genuine, jet <laughs> works to genuine terror as a shark approached unobstructed by plastic shielding. The only Bond movie where we get a glimpse of all double O agents in one shot. Uh, they are summoned to M's briefing. Yep. And, and 007 is the last to join in. And he sits down at the only available chair, the seventh from the left. That's great. I love that. Only one of the other double O's is revealed, however, as they are filmed from behind. Now, this room he walks into is gigantic. And they use these big, huge uh, painted murals to uh, rise up and show you the big screen plans of what they're going to do. But I, I, in the chairs where the double O's are sitting, are they're like... They're like a half mile away from the table where M's talking about what they need to do. <laughs> so I think the director is definitely trying to get a sense of how cold uh, British intelligence is and how it's not not really personable in this instance and very formal. And I mean, it's a gigantic room and very posh and very hoity-toity. And yeah, it, it's it's comical, definitely. Uh, this was the most popular Bond movie, uh, which I thought would be Goldfinger, but uh, with the paying audiences uh, racking up to $140 million, um, yeah, $140 million in ticket sales, Goldfinger, with $130 million sales, racks number two in popularity. I like Goldfinger better. Um, this is a long one. 
good underwater scene, but I think this movie could have used a little bit more tighter editing. Uh, I think it, it's got some good action in it, though. And the Bond girls are good, and it's got a good villain, and it, set, it sets up Spectre a lot more, which is cool. And it gives you a little bit more variety uh, with the kind of villain with Largo. Um, Sir, 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 Sir Sean Connery performed the gun barrel sequence for the first time because of the new Panavision process used in the movie. Also, that's him. The other times it wasn't him walking. Wow, that's interesting to know. Beginning with this movie, the sequence would be performed by the actor playing Bond in the movie. Yeah. Which would be Sean Connery. Uh, the budget for this movie was more than the combined budget's first three Bond movies. I said that. Let's see here. Uh, the rocket jetpack was originally used for military use. And me being in the military, it'd be pretty, pretty awesome to use that. However, if you use that... Not that I was in uh, infant, uh, infantry. You could get blown out of the sky. I mean, you'd be a big target. So you'd have to be do it in places where at least you don't think there are many, if any, enemy around because they can totally see it coming and and the noise it makes, too. Um, let's see here. The dictionary definition of the word thunderball is a military term used by U.S. soldiers to describe the mushroom cloud seen uh, during the testing of atomic bombs. Hence, its uh, use as a title because this would be the result of Spectre detonating the stolen atomic bombs. Keeping with her name, Domino's clothes are always in black and white. And I believe Domino is one of the Bond girls that Bond tries to get over to the good side. And she, she kind of goes back and forth. Um, there's a, as a side note, the, the finale of this movie, they're on a uh, speedboat. And, you know, Bond's got the big red uh, underwater uh, suit, scuba suit. And it's funny, uh, it was pointed out that uh, why does he have the big red scuba suit? And that, that, you know, they could see him coming and it's not, you know, it's not, not subtle at all. But I would, I said, uh, you know, maybe it's because they know, they want you to know who, who the hero is when he's fighting the other people underwater and it's dark and everything. However, he does later on wear a black suit, a frog suit, but <laughs> there, I don't think he fights anybody when he's wearing it. So I think that's the reason for the red suit. If I had to guess, I might be wrong. Uh, but yeah, during the speedboat, it goes so fast. Uh, they're going so fast in it that the G's that the, the, the characters would experience, they would be knocked back of the bus. They'd be flattened out. That's how fast. They're, they're no, there's no way they'd be able to move around and fight with how fast it's going. You know, it's like the it's all sped up and everything on the outside uh, of the boat, but there's no way. <laughs> They're going like 150 miles an hour. <laughs> um, let's see what else here. 
he also stands like i said there, there's a lot of trivia on this there's a lot oh my gosh there's so many like i'm just kind of looking at what catches my eye Oh, here we go. Much like uh, Goldfinger, I'll note, I'll add, uh, where Shirley ba uh, Shirley Basie, uh, she kept going on with her last note. And she dragged it out for a long time because they didn't tell her, her when to stop. Same, th same thing here with Tom Jones. Uh, it says, during the recording of the title song, Thunderball, Sir Tom Jones, again, a lot of sirs around here, uh, asked ask the song's writer, what the strikes like thunderball line meant the song's composer allegedly replied that he didn't know <laughs> jones nearly fainted after recording the 9 second final high note at the end of recording the song the, this echoes a story told by dame shirley uh, ba shirley bassey who that who when recording goldfinger uh, could only hold the final note after removing her con constricting uh, bustier. But he uh, he nearly fainted. Yeah, and he does hold it for a long time. By the time of the production in 1965, the popularity of James Bond, of the James Bond film franchise, had resulted in a proliferation of other espionage movies and television series. Yep. As a nod to this trend in popular entertainment, during the meeting of the double O agents in M's office, the plan was originally to have the stars of other spy-related entertainment appear as their popular characters. Huh. That's interesting. So that's what I was talking about, the big uh, the big room with the double, uh, double O's. The plan was originally to have the stars of other spy-related entertainment appear as their popular characters. That's pretty wild. Robert Vaughn and David McCullum from The Man from Uncle. James Coburn from Our Man Flint. Wow. Sir Michael Caine as Harry Palmer. Wow. This is amazing. If he had all these people in that room, oh my gosh. Dean Martin as Matt Helm. Robert Culp and Bill Cosby from I Spy, which is still, that was 1965, and others. However, due to the salaries required by, required by the actors for the cameo appearances and time constraints, the producers were forced to abandon the gimmick. Wow, that would have been amazing. I mean, just to have a few of those guys in there, like James Coburn and Kane, as those characters, that's so amazing. Even to get Robert Vaughn would be cool. Um, and Dean Martin, just get a couple of them. Uh, let's see here. The AMC channel, erroneously, oh, there's that erroneous word I was talking about. Uh, or you could say wrongly, okay, wrongly instead of being all, you know, snobby, erroneously, uh, cited this as Sir Sean Connery's favorite during its recent Bond retrospectives. Connery's favorite of the movies was From Russia with Love. 
1963, one of the most critically acclaimed in the film franchise. He confirmed that in, 2000, in a 2002 interview with Sam Donaldson for, for abcnews.com. When told he would be able, to, he would be inside a swimming pool with real sharks, Sean Connery's response was, "Not bloody likely." <laughs> On October twenty seventh, two thousand ten, they asked Martin DB five, uh, used in this movie, and Goldfinger was sold. Uh, fully loaded to the American Classic Car Collection, Harry Yagi. Or Yagi or Yagi uh, for a reported four million uh, by London's RM Auctions. The car had only one previous private owner, an American radio station owner named Jerry Lee, who purchased the car directly from from the Aston Martin's factory in nineteen sixty nine for twelve twelve thousand dollars. Lee uh, had kept the car at his Pennsylvania house for over forty years. Wow. So that's going to conclude uh, my little review of Thunderball. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, it was fun watching it again. And I'll see you back here on the next installment of the uh, James Bond Reviews Marathon in November. Uh, it probably might even be December by the time I do it. I don't know. We'll see. For You Only, you only Live Twice. So thanks for listening. And let me know what you think in the comments on the wall. And I'll see you next time. James Bond will return. And so will Hambo.